Hello and welcome to Matt Matter Unites and Heals America. I'm Max Slove sitting in for Matt Matter. Today we're speaking with Carolyn Dennett, a former consultant for Shell Oil Company. Uh, welcome, Carolyn. Hi, Max. So, Carolyn, you recently came out publicly against your former client, Shell Oil, and their lack of action on environmental and climate issues. Uh, let's let's start at the beginning here. Tell us a little bit about your role as a consultant for Shell Oil and how you got into the area of being a consultant uh, for Shell. Yeah, thanks, Max. So it all really started uh, back in 2011 in the aftermath of the Deepwater Horizon disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, um, you know, where we had uh, considerable loss of life, 11 fatalities and just millions of barrels of oil pumping into the uh, pump- pumping into the Gulf of Mexico. Shell really took a look at their process safety uh, performance and thought, well, actually, you know what, that could have been us. I mean, it wasn't, it was BP, but, you know, it could have been any one of the major players uh, drilling at the time. And they really wanted some way of understanding you know, what are the, what's the mindset at the operational front line? You know, what are those behaviours? What are the values? You know, what are we really kind of aiming for with our own uh, safety performance? So they thought that a survey would be a really good way of um, kind of measuring what's going on at the front line. So we were approached via a management consultancy to design a process safety culture survey and uh, I had considerable surveying expertise. Uh, my company is a kind of like traditional social and market research agency, uh, but we knew nothing about the oil and gas industry, but that didn't really matter because they had technical expertise their side. We brought the kind of like um, behavioral understanding and uh, surveying expertise. So we were uh, invited to design a process safety culture survey uh, to pilot it uh, and to kind of like get things going, which we which we did in 2011 and 2012. And then we just thought, you know, that'll be it. They'll take it in-house or they'll give it to some other big agency. But they really valued what we had, uh, what we'd done. They really liked the analytics. They liked uh, the fact that our survey really produced quite hard-hitting results, which helped management to feel uncomfortable about their process safety performance. And that was the aim. So they invited us to kind of work with them ongoing across their global uh, footprint, really, for, for for the next 11 years. So when, when you first started producing reports for Shell, there, were, there was a sense that, that someone was listening. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there, there really was. There was a big drive for process safety. And by process safety, you know, they mean basically keeping it in the pipe. So Shell's safety ambition across the globe is to do no harm. So no harm to people and no leaks. And really by leaks, I mean, you know, no gas uh, leaks, no oil spills, no oil leaks, no explosions, no fires. Uh, So, you know, by surveying their own employees and contractors working at site. So not, you know, not in the offices, but really out there on the rigs, in the plants, in the uh, kind of refining facilities, you know, to really understand what was going on. So yeah, definitely people were listening there was quite a drive for process safety because everyone knew the consequences of what had happened for, for BP and Deepwater Horizon. What, um, what sort of, did you, did you observe any differences between, because I, let, let me rephrase that. So 
Shell, BP, Chevron. These are, these are massive corporations. And it, it's somewhat ironic that you know, the, the best analogy you could you give to a corporation like, like this, of this size and scale in terms of affecting change is that they, they are like oil tankers, like the ability to turn an oil tanker is, is like kind of a, a gargantuan task. You know, uh, oil tankers have to map out their turns miles ahead of time uh, because there's just so much inertia. Um, and so my question is, what sort, or did you observe uh, differences in culture in terms of the boots on the ground operational level? Um, and and the, the the higher up management level, um, you, you can have like an oil rig, you'd have a refinery, and then you have corporate offices that are sometimes continents away. Um, what what sort of observations? What, what did you experience in terms of, of, of any potential differences or that, that might be relevant? Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that was one of the points of the surveys, actually, and the assessments was to kind of like be able to give a, a complete diagnostic of the health of that safety culture in that organization and there were gaps you know there's gaps in perception for sure you know so people at the front line may perceive things are being done one way and that may not be the way that top management uh perceive it's being done uh and in fact the way that middle management perceive things are being done so there is definitely gaps in perception and part of the outcome of the of the assessments we were doing was to close those gaps you know to help uh help people in different parts of the organization you know understand um where the differences in perception were where the differences in performance were so that we could have a a you know a safety culture that was kind of complete and consistent you know rather than sort of like uh disjointed in, in places so so we were you know we were doing that quite successfully and and there was you know at times uh, real steps made to make improvements, you know, and that's not my criticism of Shell. My criticism isn't that, you know, they were ignoring the, the results. It, it's more, you know, what their, the inherent nature of their business now, uh, that, you know, that is, uh, that's a big risk. It's a huge, you know, the whole point of uh, safety assessments is to understand where your hazards are, you know, and assess those hazards and calculate the risk of something going catastrophically wrong. Uh, and what the consequences are. And I just think where, where in terms of, uh, you know, particularly around uh, climate change and environmental uh, impacts, then that they're not doing that. So in some respects, you know, even though on an operational level, they may be making improvements uh, in terms of preventing harm to workers uh, and trying to prevent leaks and uh, spills, um, you know, they're certainly not doing that on the macro level. I guess that was going to be my next question is that uh, protection of worker safety and protection of the environment are, well, they will often overlap, but they're often treated as, as really distinct uh, efforts, distinct goals. Um, and, and, and so I, I was curious about the extent to which um, in, in, in your work, consulting the the two were the two goals were really coextensive or they they diverged at all um if that was something yeah absolutely so actually it's quite hard to get people to focus on uh, process safety you know so keeping it in the pipe traditionally you know safety measures and safety goals have been around preventing harm uh to to, to workers um 
And that's the default position. You know, if you just asked someone, tell us about the safety performance in your organization, they would immediately start thinking about, you know, how many people have been injured or whether we've had a fatality. You know, that's really the, the natural place for people to think about safety. Relatively speaking, process safety is a, is a much newer concept, although it has been around for decades. It's really only been, you know, in the kind of forefront uh, probably for the last 10 or 15 years. So you really have to help people to focus on what we mean by, by process safety, you know, to sort of think about that every action that they take has a, has a consequence. Uh, you know, whether that's someone who's a maintenance fitter or an operator, you know, they really do have to think about those, those, those things and they need training, you know, they need training along that, those lines as well. You know, people need to, to understand what process safety means, what safety means, what the expectations are, what the requirements from the organization are, you know, and what are the, 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 the positive behaviors uh, that ensure that uh, there's a good safety performance. Right. And uh, I, I imagine that that's hard when the, the, the goal and purpose of, of each day's work is, is sometimes defined very singularly uh, to get petroleum out of the earth and, and into a refining process. Uh, I, I know oftentimes you're, you're dealing with engineers who are very, they can be very brilliant minds, but very pragmatic and, and, and privilege efficiency in, in achieving a particular goal. And if something does not uh, dovetail with, um, with the achievement of that goal, with, with the efficiency of achieving that goal, it, it makes no sense. Um, I, I think that's something we could talk about a little more in the next segment. Um, Let's take a break now. This is Max Sloves. I'm speaking with Carolyn Dennett on Matt Mattern, Unites at Heels America. We'll be back in just a moment. Thank you. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. This is Max Slobes sitting in for Matt Matter on Matt Matter Unites Heals America. We're speaking today with Carolyn Dennett, former consultant for Shell Oil. And Carolyn, in the last segment, we had talked about the, the, the mindset of, of some of the, the very bright minds that are often working in the petroleum industry, but how difficult it can be sometimes to, to get them to think about separate simultaneous goals um, in terms of one goal being to move petroleum, the other goal be to maximize safety and environmental protection. And and when those don't feed into each other and sometimes one can inhibit the other, there can be some cognitive disconnect for for the boots on the ground. Um, What were some of the things you observed in in that sense when, when working in the petroleum industry? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely right, Max. It's, a, it's, it's certainly an observation that we made. So there's a couple of things there, actually. So I would say that kind of like safety is a bit of a disruptor because the kind of the focus, the, the, the straight line really is production, right? You know, people people go to work to, to produce something in this instance. And the company, that's their, you know, that's their reason for being is to produce, in this case, oil and gas. You know, so, so there's a kind of a straight line that people walk, you know, which is to just produce and produce and produce. And then there's safety that comes in, particularly process safety, because that's a little bit more of a, a, a difficult concept. And it kind of, you know, disrupts the workflow in some respects deliberately. You know, it's deliberately there to disrupt and make people stop and think about what they're doing so that they actually do things safely. So the battle is or the tension has always been safety versus production, but it isn't actually safety versus production. It's just safe production. You know, that's what we that's what we have to have. And that's the mindset we have to create. And I think one of the, the difficulties when we talk about culture you know, is culture is about people and it's about relationships and it's about conversations and engagement and communication and leadership. You know, but most of the time, you're right, what you've just described, you know, engineers, technicians, fitters, you know, they're very kind of system focused when they're at work. I'm not saying they're system focused people, but in that job, you know, so quite often, even when the 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 thing that needs improving in the culture is actually something around relationships or safety leadership or communication. Actually, it's like the, they feel that the solution is let's put a system fix in. You know, we'll just we'll just tweak the system because that will make us safer or let's write another procedure or we'll put a barrier in or we'll put a different control in and let's see if we can, you know, systemize uh, this. And that's, you know, you can put all the systems in place that you like. And of course it's important to have good systems in place and they have to be robust, but actually those systems are only as good as the people who are inter interacting with those systems. So we need to make sure that people are aware, you know, trained, understand, can stop the job, can, feel empowered to speak up if they feel there's something that's not not right you know if they feel uncomfortable about something if they you know if they see something that think hang on you know this isn't safe and you know that's that that can be quite difficult and that that takes time that takes some um, doesn't take loads of time but it takes some time to you know get people on board with that way of thinking and really that's that's you know one of the key elements of that is safety leadership you know leaders have to be self-aware they have to understand that even their non-verbal communication can sometimes have an influence on how people um, behave and uh, you know what they have in their minds uh, and so it, it is quite complex but I, I I've my observations over the last 10 years is actually do you know what culture is quite easy to change it doesn't even in an industry like uh, the oil and gas industry you know it doesn't have to take years it can it can happen really quickly with the right inputs uh, and the right drivers, and if we take away the barriers that prevent you know good culture from uh, uh, yeah uh, from growing. So, my how how long did you work as a consultant for for Shell Oil? Uh, ten years. Yeah. So you, you that that was adequate time to get pretty pretty broad range of data points in terms of assessing a company and, and its culture. Um, what, what was the tipping point for you where, where you realized it was, it was time for you to change course? Um, was there a discrete incident or was it, was it more the, the steady accumulation of experience with the company or, or was there something else? 
Yeah, so really, I mean, my experience with the company generally has been quite positive. I've worked with some great people and in terms of their focus on safety, you know, it's as, as good as anyone else in, in, in the industry. You know, they've had some quite high, high standards. I think for me, over a period of time, well, actually from the very start, I, I was never very comfortable working in the fossil fuel industry. You know, it, not so much perhaps from a climate change perspective, but from a pollution point of view, you know, there'd been a lot of... Uh, bad incidents uh, stemming from the fossil fuel industry and they didn't seem to be particularly learning uh, from those mistakes but this was an opportunity to you know support um, more safe working but over time I think as my awareness of you know climate change and uh, the ecological crises that we face increased you know I started to feel uncomfortable even more so working in the fossil fuel industry and even though I told myself, you know, yeah, but I'm doing good, it has value, I'm helping to prevent harms to people, to the environment, you know, and so you go on kind of justifying these things to yourself. But I guess over time, it really, you know, probably three years ago, I, I really started to understand the science of climate change much more and understood, you know, the, uh, the looming crises. Uh, and I'd say today we're in that, we're in those crises, you know, we're experiencing climate change. It's not something bad that's going to happen in the future it's something bad that's happening to us right now and I guess as time went on and I saw that you know Shell were continuing to seek new licenses for oil and gas extraction so not just seeing through you know what we already what is already licensed uh, but seeking to expand uh, their extraction and their pipeline uh, expansion program as well and I think just towards the end of last year I started to think you know I, as much as I love my job and I have loved my job, I've, I've loved working uh, on safety culture with Shell. I just cannot go on supporting an industry that, that is ignoring the biggest hazards and risks of all, which is, you know, where we are uh, in terms of global overheating and uh, ecological collapse. Uh, and so I just, you know, the, the internal conflict um, was just getting more and more burdensome. And I think I just thought, yeah, you know, the, the, the last project that we did which ended in March I, I really thought yeah this, this will be the last this will be the last job and I'm and I'm going to go um, yeah it's, it's been interesting to to see over the last 10 20 30 40 years so there's been a bit of a shift in in, in our discourse uh, I, I think of like a tectonic shift you know it hasn't been small in terms of a focus on on pollution as something that is, is a local point source issue that, that, that can have external impacts. And, and now that, that that's really not the dominant dialogue now, it's not the dominant conversation. The dominant conversation is, is climate change, this, this sort of all enveloping blanket issue that uh, cannot be escaped by moving further away from the point source of the pollution. <laughs> uh, and I think there, there are better benefits and drawbacks to that to that shift because point source pollution is still uh, a grave issue for for those affected immediately uh by it but um but yeah there's there's been a, a lot of effort by by shell and others to um i mean i think greenwashing is is thrown around a lot um i, I remember when british petroleum changed their logo to a, a green and yellow Sunflower Starburst logos, and uh, you know, Chevron has uh, videos of, of eagles landing on pieces of wood that they set out to to help them nest. Um, 
it's it's a that's a huge industry itself. Um, it, did, did you feel like any of the work you were doing was 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 part of that sort of superficial effort, or did you feel like you were more sort of inside the the machinery of the corporation and and at least attempting to affect change uh, at that level? Yeah, no, that's right. So I I I was never kind of working on a kind of brand messaging or, you know, kind of like marketing or, or even internally, you know, it was very, very focused on the on uh, operational safety. Um, but I think what became really apparent is, which was another kind of tipping point for me was, you know, we, we have surveyed 20,000 plus employees and contractors over the last 10 years, probably somewhere in the order of half a million to a million words of open feedback that we've collected through the through the through the types of surveys that we do and very little mention of climate change or climate change risks or you know any of those things um i'd say less than three percent and that didn't get any any more because as time went on you know that that hasn't like suddenly in the last three years become part of the dialogue so again it was just a, a suggestion to me that all all the messages that you see coming out of shell you know, around perhaps renewables or, you know, transition or net zero. Uh, you know, I think they're very busy talking about that in the in the PR team and the branding and marketing communications team. But that's not a reality on the front line. You know, nobody is really talking about that. So that suggests to me that this kind of transition doesn't feel very real. Um, and from what I know about, you know, organisational cultures, you know, if you want something to change, you really have to bring your people along with you. And I just don't think that that is that that's happening, which, you know, is bitterly disappointing, actually. Yeah, there, there's a sense of urgency for change right now. And if, if, if the captain of that oil tanker has not started to steer the ship in a different direction, <laughs> despite what they're saying, then we're, we're really behind the ball. Um, we'll come back in just a moment. This is Max Sloves. I'm sitting in for Matt Matter on you. Matt Matter unites and heals America. Speaking with Carolyn Dennett. We'll return in a moment. Thank you. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. Hello, this is Max Slobes. I'm sitting in for Matt Mattern on Matt Mattern Unites and Heals America. I'm speaking today with Carolyn Dennett, former consultant, uh, or no, I'm sorry, I say you're still a consultant, <laughs> but you used to consult for uh, Shell Oil. And you recently came out and, and publicly started discussing issues that, that you have with the company and the direction it's moving in terms of action related to the environment and climate change. Um, and one of the things that uh, I understand you've been involved with is called Extinction Rebellion. Could, could you tell us a little bit about that and your involvement with it? 
Yeah, so Extinction Rebellion, um, you know, this is quite a big movement in the UK, uh, and I understand it's it's global as well, and they're very much, you know, very concerned with taking action uh, on, on climate change and the ecological crises as well. So my I, I started to pay more attention to greenhouse gas emissions uh, probably about five, five or six years ago, um, but still didn't really think that, you know, we were in such big trouble that I now understand that we are. But three years ago, I went to a talk actually by uh, being given by Extinction Rebellion, which was really a, a walkthrough of all the, the, the science that was out there that was being created by the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you know, the other, uh, you know, World Wildlife Fund, you know, all the organizations that are looking at kind of like the climate, global heating, nature and wildlife. And I was, you know, and I thought I knew something about greenhouse gas emissions and, and what they meant for us. But, you know, I was I was really shocked by what I heard about the, the science that's been out there actually for quite some some years. And I think it was from that point that I thought, actually, you know, you know, we're really in trouble here. And I think when I first saw Extinction Rebellion on the scene, you know, I probably thought, no, we're not in that kind of danger, you know, like we're not, what they're talking about extinction, you know, that seems a bit extreme, but actually when you've, you know, when you kind of see, see the science and you look at that correlation between, you know, the CO2 emissions and the concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere and, and uh, the, the direct correlation with uh, the increase in global average temperatures, you know, you start to realise uh, what, what's going on here. Uh, so, you know, that that had a that had a real impact uh, on me. And it was probably from that that point on that the real discomfort of, of working in the industry, because we don't we haven't just done work for Shell. We have done work for other petrochemical uh, companies as well. You know, I started thinking, yeah, this is this is this is not great. And actually, one of the final <laughs> tipping points for me leaving, I mean, as well as. Uh, you know, Shell seemingly not on the ground doing what they say they're going to do. You know, I don't see any sign of them transitioning and they're still, like I say, you know, expanding extraction uh, efforts. Uh, was I, I happen to see a clip of a video of a Extinction Rebellion action at Shell's headquarters in London. And somebody was just holding up a sign saying, insiders wanted, you know, do you know something about, uh, you know, Shell's double talk on climate change? And I thought, okay. I know who I, you know, who I can speak to about this. So I did, I did reach out to an organisation called truthteller.life. Um, and, you know, they're very keen to speak to people who've got, who've come from or are still in the oil and gas industry. So I, I spoke to them and, you know, told them that I was going to leave and that I would quite like to do that in a public way to have some impact and get the message and start a conversation, uh, you know, and they said that they would support, uh, support me to do that, which they have done. It's a, I think it's a much more, I mean, maybe people listen to you and, and they, they understand right away what, what a tremendous move that is. Um, if they don't, I, I think it's important to, to discuss what, what a, a significant action that is. Um, and because when we're personally, when, when we're personally invested in something, I mean, you, you put a decade of your life into into doing work that, that you fully believed was, was a benefit to this company and a benefit that with, with externalities of a benefit that would be helpful to its impact on worker safety and environmental safety. Um, what, 
what was some of the thought process that that, that went into making that decision? I mean, was 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 it, were you just sure that this was the right thing to do, or because there are costs and benefits? There's there's financial costs, significant chunk of your business, I imagine. Was this consulting for uh, petroleum corporations, gas and oil? Um, and then possible, I, I'm, I, as a lawyer, I don't even know what the legal liability might be. Uh, can, can you talk about just some of the steps that, that you went through in, in deciding to take action in this way? Yeah, you're right. Actually, you know, it's been quite quite hard. It's been a hard decision. I, I say I've loved my job. It, I know it's had value. I know it's had value particularly for the people who are frontline operators because it's given them a voice, you know, a trusted voice to tell tell us, you know, what what needs improving, that we can then convey that to to management. So I know it's had real value. And I feel really quite sad, actually, you know, it's been difficult. I mean, sad, because it's part of my identity. You know, this is who I've been for the last 10 years, you know, I've been Shell's safety culture uh, consultant, and, and someone who's, you know, had a lot of involvement with their operations. Um, I've made some really good re- working relations with with people there, so it's quite hard actually to say I'm I'm not going to be that person <laughs> any longer. Um, and actually, yeah, sad for you know just just sad in some respects that they have lost an ally in terms of the drive for improved safety. You know, we and I and I was worried uh, that people there that I've worked with would feel a sense of betrayal you know that I've betrayed them and to some extent I feel I have you know that's that's a real feeling um because they they have had an ally on the outside you know we've always been completely independent and we've spoken as an independent consultant and that's probably feels quite difficult for for me and for them you know that that's gone that relationship is 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 over and that they don't have that ally on the outside uh, any longer. And I, I do feel quite, I feel guilty about that. But, you know, you have to sleep at night and you have to, you can't go on having conflict with yourself over the values uh, that you hold dear and, and, and the values that you see apparent in an organisation that you're working with. And I think that's really what happened. You know, our, our values have drifted apart. And uh, I, I, I just think it's such a shame. You know, I, I would have gladly have stayed working alongside Michelle if I thought for one moment that they were genuinely transitioning, that they had, you know, a real ambition to reach net zero as quickly as they could, because I would have liked to have supported a safe transition. But I, I, I just truly don't believe that they are making any effort at all. In fact, they say, you know, we're going to carry on, uh, you know, drilling and um, producing for decades to come in the face of all you know all the facts that we know that we have to stop say even the international energy agency says we have to stop now not not stop producing but stop seeking new sources of oil and gas so it's been it's been really difficult up to including the day that i that i sent the emails to 1400 you know workers and uh, and the, the the executive committee it felt sad, you know, I, and, and I understand that people in the organisations and across the, the sector, you know, may feel quite angry about what I've done because it may feel like I'm trying to shame them and I'm, I'm not. But I totally get that if you've spent 30 or 40 years in the oil and gas industry doing a tough job in high risk environments that a lot of us just frankly wouldn't want to do, 
you know, we'd rather sit in an office somewhere, you know, I get that if someone then criticizes that work, that can feel like, uh, you know, like a criticism of you. And, uh, you know, I don't think we should be shaming those people. I think it, people have been, uh, they can be proud of the work that they've done. You know, the, the oil and gas industry have helped us develop. You know, we were able to live a life of uh, relative comfort that we wouldn't have done otherwise. But the, that time is that time for oil and gas energy is over, you know, and we have to look for, for alternatives. But I, I understand that people may you know, not have welcomed the message, but perhaps what it's done is opened a conversation. And that's what I actually really wanted to do, Max, actually, was to start that conversation that I wasn't hearing. You know, that even if people at the, you know, in the canteen just said, oh, can you believe what that woman did? You know, I don't agree with, you know, it's a conversation that they weren't having before. And if their colleague goes, well, maybe she's got a point and that, you know, that enables them to discuss climate change and my reasons for doing it, uh, then I'll be very happy that that, that conversation was started. Uh, yeah, I, I sometimes a, a, a jolt to the system. Um, it can can be so effective um, it, it, it can, because especially in, in, in a corporation that big, I imagine you've got a lot of smart people and it's, it's really easy to find the counter arguments. I, I just off the top of my head, I imagine some could easily say, well, listen, this is, this is not a production side issue. This is a demand side issue. Like people still want oil. People still instead of want because they were need people still need oil so it's 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 an obligation to seek out new sources as long as that demand is there, um, and you know maybe this is the jolt that, that that will just kind of disrupt the dogma and get people to say, well, you know what what are the options? And um, I'm hoping we can, we can talk a little bit more about that in, in the next segment. Uh, this is Max Slopes. I'm speaking with Carolyn Dennett, a former consultant. Uh, for Shell Oil, and or it's someone who worked with with a number of gas and oil corporations, uh, who stepped away from that work and done so publicly, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next thing. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. This is Max Sloves. I'm sitting in for Matt Mattern on Matt Mattern Nights and Heals America. And even as I say that, I, I'm speaking with Carolyn Dennett, um, who has worked as a consultant for, for Shell Oil for many years. And when, when we talk about you know, just, just the name of this show, Unite and Heal America, but we're, this, this show so often deals with environmental issues. Um, which transcend national borders. And so it, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that we often find ourselves speaking with people from outside the United States precisely because the, the, the environment knows no boundaries 
Um, and and there, there has to be more of a collective voice beyond nationality on these issues. Karen, in, in the last segment, we, we were talking about sort of the moment and, and the consequences of stopping the work that you were doing for Shell. Um, and, and, and sort of, you know, the, the courage it takes for anyone to shift course and move in a different direction, especially when that shift in course can come at personal cost, both in terms of personal relationships, uh, financial stability. There, there, there's so many, so many forces in our lives that you know can make change difficult. But 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 you decide to to make a change, and and, and do so very publicly. Um, what what are some of the what are some of the, the results that you, that you hope to see from this point forward? What what are some of the things that what are some of the changes that the oil and gas industry could make? Um, what are some of the actions that other individuals can take, or not speaking in terms of individuals? What, what are other actions that, that that you see as being effective that groups of people, uh, whether they be companies or collectives of individuals can take moving forward. Yeah, well, you know, there's lots, there's so much to do, isn't there? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, ultimately what we need is that those companies who are currently, you know, powerful and producing oil and gas for for energy, you know, is to start to rapidly trans- transition. You know, that's one solution, isn't it? I mean, another solution is to is to abandon that model, you know, and say that we'll all have community based energy production. I mean, that you know, with renewables. I mean, that's a you know, that's a different, that's a whole different uh, conversation to be had. But I think you know, if you look at the likes of Shell, you know, they are well placed to lead us into a safer future. You know, they have uh, financial capital, you know, they have lots of backing, they have lots of investment uh, from uh, the financial institutions and from big pension funds, etc. You know, so they have that, they have human resource, you know, they have the necessary human resource, and they also have massive technological capability. So they have the three key ingredients that really could, you know, accelerate a change in the energy mix very quickly, uh, if they so so wish to do so and and i think you know whatever pressure can be brought upon those companies to make that change and to make it genuinely uh, then i think we need to be doing that so we need to do all that we can now i suppose some of the ways uh, to do that is to uh, not you know for financial institutions to to say that they're not going to support them uh, like they have been they're not going to invest in the way that they have been unless they do start making you know very notable efforts to transition you know, I mean, a lot of the oil and gas industries from a lot of in a lot of countries in the world have huge uh, subsidies from their governments. You know, so there's there's political power there that can be can be brought, um, you know, and um, yeah, you know, and and kind of. Yeah, so so that's two really big, uh, big, big things that can be brought, and and also I don't know what it's like in in the US, but certainly in the in the UK, I mean the the big oil and gas companies they don't pay any tax either, you know. So there's kind of like three three big things that could be brought to bear that would, I'm sure, encourage the oil and gas industry to, to change uh, to change direction. So you know that's something that can be done, and in terms of people's own power, you know, if you're take a, if you have a bank account. Take a look at that bank account and 
and ask questions about how much money that that uh, banking company is investing in fossil fuels. You know, a lot of people have a pension, you know, ask the same questions. And if you're not happy, you know, ch change your pension provider or start demanding that they invest in, you know, a, a future worth having. You know, so there's things that people can do and, and that's individually and collectively. I mean, I think there's a good example from, I think it was New York City uh, workers, you know, they campaigned to have their pension fund uh, divested uh, from fossil fuel and they succeeded, you know, and that was, uh, two, I think, a couple of, two or three years ago. So, you know, there is there is people power. And, and I think you're right in saying, you know, that there is demand and there's need. But what there is demand for, you know, is for the lights to be kept on, you know, and for us to be able to travel, uh, you know, and for us to be able to uh, be, be warm. But but now we know that doesn't have to just come from uh, oil and gas, you know, that can come up, come from other uh, sources of energy as well, whether that, you know, renewables, whether that's actually, you know, building infrastructure like houses that are better equipped to um, withstand cold and extreme heat, you know, whether that's because it's well insulated or just because of the way it's designed. So there's lots we can be doing actually to, to change the infrastructure of, of our world that is uh, going to be less impactful in terms of uh, the amount of CO2 going into the atmosphere, but also that's going to have less detrimental impact on, on nature and wildlife, you know, and, uh, and just, the, just the kind of whole uh, biodiversity, you know, the, the, the variety of uh, creatures that we share the world with. So, you know, I think there's a lot that people can, can do. Uh, we have people do have power, both as individuals and collectively. So I think we need to help the oil and gas industry to see that, you know, we there is no point in creating endless amounts of energy if the cost of that is that we don't have a world that we can actually uh, exist in for, for the decades ahead. That's so true. There, there, there are a lot of carrots and sticks out there, proverbially, and... and... I feel like discussions of, of green investment funds were met with quite a bit of condescension 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, and it, it does seem like the viability of, of those funds or the attitude towards that, that type of investment has changed dramatically. That now green investment um, is, is something seen as, as profitable, um, which... The way where our collective mindset is that that's something we, we, we still have to negotiate is, is the, the privilege of profit. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting to really quite interesting to hear you talk about um, the resources that these oil and gas companies have in terms of positioning themselves to be, to be able to guide the, the next iteration of, energy production um, that you know, they can be first to market precisely because they have the resources to, to pivot a little faster. Um, you know, and I already kind of tortured the, the metaphor of, of the oil tanker being slow to turn, but um, you know, I, I guess uh, another awkward metaphor could, could be uh, you know, like, like a, a McLaren race car. You know, it's, it, it's got so much invested in it being a high performance machine that, that it can pivot faster um, and, and with a little, be a little more nimble in, in ways that are maybe counterintuitive. Um, what, what are some of the groups that, that you're 
continuing to work with? What are some of the some of the groups you're working with or, or resources that, that you would point people to if, if they want to, to think more and learn more about some of the things that you've been involved with? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of um, understanding, you know, cl climate change and, and the science behind that, you know, I mean, admittedly, the Intergovernmental Panel Climate Change reports are quite weighty, you know, there's a lot to, to, to go through, but, you know, there's a lot of, there are a lot of organisations out there, um, Friends of the Earth, uh, you know, very good at distilling kind of that information easily, I would say Extinction Rebellion, I've done a great job in, in you know, capturing the essence of those uh, of those reports and keeping on track with where, where the science is. Um, so I think there's things that people can can do, uh, can do there. I mean, there are lots of groups out there who are, you know, really focused on, on, on trying to, you know, trying to get get money that is invested in the fossil fuel to either be invested differently in the green, you know, in the green tech or in the renewables. Uh, so I think people can, you know, take a, take a look at those. But I think, you know, start by by asking the questions of your own finances and, you know, and see, because I think if enough people start asking and demanding for something else, an alternative to investing in fossil fuels, you know, the market will change. The market Will change, and I've already seen it. Last week, I went to a responsible investor conference uh, in London, and it was quite incredible to see just how many, you know, how many people are are looking at the alternatives and, and trying to understand that we, you know, we need to have investments that are going to support a livable future, you know, and, and not ones that are going to, you know, make the make the future very very short and difficult. And the, the the two sides to the question: where, where's the money? Where's the money coming from and where's the money going to? Uh, we ask ourselves that question. Sometimes we can, and, and, we, and we give ourselves good answers. We can uh, affect some interesting changes uh, in the world. Um, Carolyn, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it, it was really delightful and informative to speak with you. Um, and uh, and I, I'm, I'm inspired by the, the courageous action that you took and, uh, and really wish you all the best moving forward. Many thanks, Max. It's been a real, real pleasure and a privilege. Thank you. This is Max Slow sitting in for Matt Matter on Matt Matter Unites and Heals America. Thank you so much, everyone. Be well. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 